Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Russians are bracing for economic hardship as the Russian ruble plunges and Western sanctions continue to grow. U.S. lawmakers calling on President Biden to boost domestic energy production and reopen the Keystone XL pipeline. We hear from a couple of them. And New York City soon easing up on some pandemic restrictions. Businesses will be able to serve more people. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Fighting continued in Ukraine today, even as top Russian and Ukrainian officials met to discuss laying down their weapons. No agreement was reached. There is hope, though, negotiations will restart again in a few days' time. Neither Russian President Vladimir Putin nor Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky were present at today's talks. Russian troops, of course, on Putin's orders, entered Ukraine on February 24th and have moved toward Kyiv in the intervening days. Finding has taken place around Kyiv, Kharkiv and other major cities. And today, in a bid to solidify Ukraine's bond with the West, President Vladimir Zelensky has signed an application for his country to join the European Union. He urged the EU to grant his country immediate membership today. Major economies like the U.S., Germany, the U.K. and Japan have moved to block Russia's central bank from doing business in the global financial market. Russia has roughly $640 billion in foreign exchange reserves, which it could have used to finance the war in Ukraine or at least prop up its collapsing currency. But one after another, the world's central banks have stepped in to all but freeze those assets. At least half the assets, say European officials. The U.S. Treasury Secretary says its action effectively freezes any Russian central bank assets held in the U.S. or by any American anywhere in the world. Russia responded, saying it was unable to prop up its collapsing currency today because its assets had been frozen. So to stem the tide, it's forcing Russian exporters to convert 80% of their export earnings into rubles, propping up the price somewhat at least. It's also putting some capital controls in place to stop people sending money out of the country. One reason people are taking their money out of Russian banks and sending it abroad is because Western nations like the U.S. and Canada are set to restrict Russia's access to the SWIFT system. It's going to remove some Russian banks from the network, all but severing them from the global financial system. So what exactly is SWIFT? Why is it so important? Anthony Phil Zoe explains. The U.S., Canada and Europe are planning to cut Russia out of the SWIFT banking system. So the SWIFT system is a system that allows money to be transferred uh, around the world cross borders. It's basically secured messaging between banks for transferring funds. Think of it as Gmail or text messaging, but for banks. You have over 11,000 financial institutions all around the world sending secure messages and payment orders to each other. Over 200 countries use the SWIFT system. It allows banks to send money from one country to another and large financial institutions such as insurance companies and other companies to move money from one country to another, from one currency to another currency. It doesn't move money around but those secure messages are incredibly important and it really is the plumbing of banking you know something that you never see but believe me when you don't have it 
you miss it. A swift ban would make imports and exports to Russia nearly impossible. It will have a much larger effect on the consumers in Russia. Individuals and companies wanting to transfer money over to Russian banks will not be able to do so, and this will have very detrimental consequences. If the ban happens, Russia may be isolated and forced to look inwards to sustain itself and the economy. Phil Zhou, NTD News. And panic around swift exclusion and other financial sanctions have contributed to Russia's currency, the ruble, suffering its worst single-day drop in recorded history. Russia also kept its stock market closed today out of fear it could crash. The economic toll of war, it seems, is already being felt by the Russian people. And the Fake Quarter has more. Countries are strengthening sanctions against Russia. Companies are pulling out and investors are leaving. The European Central Bank says Russian banks face collapse as Russian citizens line up to withdraw money. I lost about a third of my money because I am involved in the stock market, and I still can't. How this will end up, the future will be worse, I understand. I don't know. My nerves are on edge for a third day. What can I say? Everything is very bad, and I can't imagine what is next. The sanctions will affect normal people, regular citizens. In Russia, things will be sad, and we will lag behind the rest of the civilized world, not just by two steps, but rather seriously. Unfortunately, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. The Russian ruble plunged by over 20 percent Friday, one of the largest single-day drops in history. Outside markets are reluctant to trade the currency. This definitely will be the end of Putin because uh, his own people are understanding that they are not just, you know, now distant players. It's actually came to their home. Yes, they're not being, the rockets are not being fired at their cities but they're becoming poorer every day. Roman Sharameta is the founding director of American University Kyiv and an economics professor at Case Western Reserve University. Sharameta left Ukraine one day before Russia invaded and still has friends and family in the country. The Russian economy is crashing and crashing more than ever in its own history. The stocks for major Russian companies have, uh, I mean, you cut at least half at least half. Imagine that. I mean, it's not even compares, compared to the uh, financial crisis of 2008 or COVID. I mean, they're really, these companies are completely devalued. And people are, the Western, in, the investors are trying to pull out of those companies. What is Russia trying to do? They're just trying to hold that. So they're basically banning the trade and the sale of these stocks in these companies. And that's what Russia is trying to do. They basically are trying to uh, the stop the the foreign investors from pulling money out of Russia. Not even talking about there is no new money coming in. In response to the economic shock, Putin has banned Russians from sending money to bank accounts abroad, forced exporters to convert 80 percent of their revenues into rubles, and raised the benchmark interest rate to 20 percent from 9 percent. Faye Quarter, NTD News. So joining us to discuss these just incredible times is Daniel Ikai, chief economist with the Tresses Hedge Fund, managing $6 billion of assets and the author of Escape from the Central Bank Trap. Daniel, great to see you as always. Incredible to see you this time. Absolutely. What a, what a time to, to be looking at markets. Thank you for having me. Daniel, 
I think the, the serious of seriousness of these sanctions is pretty evident. We see the ruble pretty much collapsing, right? We see the Russian government forced to put in capital controls to stop money leaving the country. Also, we have the sanctions are blocking the Russian central bank from accessing its foreign assets. Just how much trouble is the Russian economy in? We tend to forget how weak the Russian economy is. Uh, just to give you an example, the Russian GDP is a little bit uh, higher than Spain's, for example. No, it's not a very large economy, and it's hugely dependent on the inflow of uh, foreign capital. So the sanctions that have been implemented are directly targeting the the heart of the Russian economy. The uh, ban from the SWIFT uh, system is a brutal blow on the banking uh, system, which uh, will inevitably fall into defaults and it will uh, leave dry the uh, possibility of numerous companies of accessing their funds or even making transfers, uh, even for households and, and consumers. So what exactly are the consequences for the Russian people themselves? What's going to break first? The impact on the average Russian citizen is immense. The collapse of the ruble and obviously the destruction of the purchase and power of the local currency means that wages are uh, plummeting in real terms. And it means that the uh, little savings that uh, households may treasure are collapsing. So obviously uh, the average citizen is going to suffer from very elevated levels of inflation from the destruction of their savings, even the loss of their savings. Pension funds, for example, are being obliterated because of the collapse of the uh, Russian equities. And uh, if we look at, uh, in general, what is going to be the impact on the average household, high inflation, very weakness, very high weakness in terms of uh, access to goods and services, and the concern about a bank run and losing all of their savings. You had tweeted out as well, Daniel, about how the knock-on effects of cutting Russia off from SWIFT, say, for example, Russian banks owe money to European banks, which you've tweeted about they do. Are we facing the possibility of some kind of contagion effect here? Is there a problem with solvency at these European or American banks, perhaps? American banks have very little exposure to Russian banks, very, very limited. Uh, the, the exposure of uh, the United States economy in general to Russia is extremely low. However, in terms of the Eurozone financial system, we need to pay attention to Italian, Austrian, German, French banks, because they have quite a substantial exposure to Russia and to Russian uh, financial structures. So, uh, all Although it's uh, contained to a certain extent, and the ECB certainly can provide liquidity in difficult times, uh, we never should underestimate the cross-border impact of these uh, of these risks because they they can be elevated. However, so far it is true that it's uh, uh, contained to a severe equity valuation collapse, as we have seen today in equity markets all over Europe.
That's what we've seen in the past, of course, the central banks, whether it's in Europe or America, coming in and backstopping these types of losses and recapitalizing the banks. So perhaps we'll see it. A lot to watch, Daniel. Daniel Akai, Tresses Hedge Fund. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good night. And the economic pain continues for Russia. Energy giants BP and Shell joining a growing list of companies looking to exit the country. Shell says it would exit all its Russian operations. BP, Russia's biggest foreign investor, said it would abandon its stake in Russian oil firm Rosneft. BP says it'll cost around $25 billion to do it, cutting its oil and gas reserves in half and production by a third. Russian airlines may also struggle to hold on to their planes. Aircap, the world's biggest aircraft owner, says it'll terminate leases with carriers in the country. Norway's sovereign wealth fund, the world's largest too, will also divest its Russian assets worth about $2.8 billion. But despite all the sanctions imposed by Western governments, one area they're avoiding is Russia's energy industry. Because perhaps these countries depend heavily on Russian oil and gas. But now Republican lawmakers in the United States are calling on Biden to boost domestic energy production. Republican Byron Donalds told us at the CPAC conference that the U.S. needs to focus on its own energy independence so countries can stop buying from Russia. We were doing it. Joe Biden literally cut it off when he got inaugurated as president of the United States, and it has empowered our adversaries across the globe. The Russian economy is built completely on oil and natural gas uh, exportation. That's how their economy is built. They sell it to everybody else. We have to be the leader. Shortly after President Biden took office, he canceled the Keystone XL pipeline and blocked new oil and gas leases. Senator Josh Hawley said today he's going to introduce a bill to reverse the president's actions and reopen U.S. energy production, quote, full throttle. Republican Kat Kamek says if we had the Keystone pipeline online and functioning, 100 percent, would be free and clear of Russian oil. This is the thing that we have to push for, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as Americans and people who believe in democracy and freedom around the world. If we do not push to bring the Keystone pipeline back online here in the United States, we will be in a weaker position when it comes time to stand uh, in, in a major meaningful way. The White House, on the other hand, says calls to boost domestic oil production are a, quote, misdiagnosis. Press Secretary telling ABC yesterday that in Biden's view, the U.S. needs to reduce its dependence on oil in general and look at other energy options. Now, Germany, though, is rethinking its reliance on Russian energy. Berlin has frozen the Nord Stream 2, the gas pipeline that links Germany and Russia. It's also building two new liquefied natural gas terminals to import more of the fuel from the United States and Qatar. It's also looking to extend the use of coal as it tries to wean itself off Russian natural gas. What a turnaround. Germany's coal plants could stay in operation beyond 2030, the current deadline for ending coal. That's according to Germany's Minister for Economy and Energy. He called Russian President Vladimir Putin a warmonger and an unreliable partner said Germany needs to end its high dependence on Russian imports of fossil fuels. Russia supplies 35% of Germany's crude oil, 55% of its natural gas, and half of its coal. Two Russian billionaires are calling for an end to Vladimir Putin's assault in Ukraine. 
One said the conflict is driving a wedge between Russia and Ukraine, who, says he, who he says have been brothers for centuries. He says he was born in western Ukraine, lived there till he was 17. His parents are Ukrainian citizens. And he says he's deeply attached to the Ukrainian people. The other posted on Telegram to call for peace talks between the two countries. Russian billionaires are facing economic chaos after the West imposed severe sanctions on Russia. So Russia has now been sanctioned by the European Union, more than half a dozen countries globally. Will it look to its Chinese ally to help blunt the sanctions? Is international pressure only pushing Russia closer to China? And the East on Ma talks to experts on the matter. Western sanctions on Russia include ejecting a number of Russian banks from the interbank payment messaging system called SWIFT, as well as cutting off Russia's access to key tech components like semiconductors. Professor of political science at Case Western Reserve University, Juscelino Coleri, says the sanctions will strengthen Russia's relationship with China. The current types of sanctions, the same style of sanctions that we've used in the past and which have not worked, they will only draw Russia closer to China with no cost to China. Kaleris points out that China does have a record of trading with sanctioned countries. Russia was already selling uh, coal to China, and now that it knows it doesn't have alternative markets or countries that, you know, other countries may also impose sanctions, it knows that it, it can export more to China. China will take that coal, no doubt. Senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, Rick Fisher, also says the China-Russia relationship will grow closer. This relationship is only going to grow closer the more that the West puts pressure on Russia. Fisher says one of the reasons China will support Russia is because of China's ambitions in Taiwan. The kind of support that Russia requires right now and because China requires Russia's support once it decides to go to war on the Taiwan Strait, China is very happy to help Russia today. Some economists believe that China won't be able to offer much help to Russia in offsetting the impact of the sanctions. Given um, some of the weakening in Chinese economic growth over the last, um, oh, about six months or so, uh, that's, I don't know that they would have the ability to completely replace uh, sort of the Western trade with Russia or that um, sort of the financial transactions. Senior faculty fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research, Ryan Yolk, isn't completely convinced that China will help Russia. He raises the question whether the two countries' relationship is based more on mutual self-interest than loyalty. Simply because um, there has been cooperation in the past doesn't mean that that cooperation will continue when the interests begin to diverge. Once those interests diverge, um, there's a long history, particularly in the Chinese case, of them identifying and then moving on from what look to be close friendships when they're no longer useful uh, to that regime. Yalk says China could forego its friendship with Russia if Chinese interests begin to diverge. Don Ma, NTD News. And on Wall Street today, major indexes were pretty mixed. Investors maybe wrestling with uncertainty over the conflict. The Dow fell 166 points, half a percent. S&P 500 lost 11 points, about one quarter of a percent. The Nasdaq actually turned positive later in the day, gaining 57 points, about four tenths of a percent. Oil gained today, WTI up about 5% to $96 a barrel. Brent up 3%, again topping $100 a barrel today. According to health officials, 
Some at-home rapid COVID-19 test kits could contain a toxic chemical that may be harmful to both children and adults. The Cincinnati Drug and Poison Information Center reported an uptick in accidental exposures to sodium azide. It's a colorless, odorless powder that testers dip cotton swabs into. The chemicals found in herbicides, pest control agents, and airbags for cars. Some hospitals around the United States say they've received a surge in phone calls about exposures to the chemical. The National Poison Control Center issued a warning about the substance. Officials say there's no need to throw away the test kits, but people should be mindful when using them. The number of new COVID cases is going down in cities across the United States, means some areas are easing up in restrictions. New York City is one of the strictest vaccine mandates in the country, but that could soon change. Adriz Arian Pastor has more from Manhattan. If you want to sit indoors for some wings, for example, you have to be vaccinated here in New York City. The key to NYC mandates proof of vaccination for almost all indoor settings, like cinemas and sport events. But now, the mayor says he might lift that restriction soon. Mayor Adams said in a statement that New York City's numbers continue to go down day after day. So as long as COVID indicators show a low level of risk and we see no surprises this week, the mandate will be lifted next Monday. I think it's about time. <laughs> I think it'll be very good. People can't go around and do certain things because of the vaccine. So now people could come out more and get around. Both New York City and New York State are also ditching the mask mandate for school children within the next week. Right now, New York City is seeing a seven-day average of around 600 cases every day, which is much lower than the daily average of 40,000 cases we saw at the beginning of January. Are you still worried about COVID at this point? Uh, not really. Key to NYC isn't the city's only vaccine mandate. You also have to be vaccinated to work for all private and public companies. The mayor says that that mandate will stay in place. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. If you've been looking for work, you might want to consider wearing the iconic red polo at Target. The retailer is raising its wages up to 24 bucks an hour, but that's only for some positions. The increase applies to hourly workers at discount stores, supply chain facilities and headquarters too. The new wage hike is part of its plan to spend an additional $300 million on its workforce. That includes providing health care benefits three to nine months sooner and making them available to employees who work 24-hour work weeks instead of the previous 30. Target has 350,000 employees and over 1,900 stores. Quick break, but still to come. We have the weekend's box office numbers. Which movie do you think topped the charts? And as the airline industry slumps, Israel's state-owned aerospace company is actually flying high. It's taking advantage of the growth in e-commerce by converting grounded passenger planes into cargo jets. That and much more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. It's a fairly quiet weekend at the movie theaters. Audiences waiting for The Batman to debut next weekend. Here are the early estimates for this weekend's top five films. Concussions aren't great. Jackass Forever stayed in fifth place, taking in $3.2 million. $4.5 million put Death on the Nile in fourth place. Spider-Man No Way Home raised its domestic total to $780 million, with a third place weekend worth $5.8 million. What is your deal, man? Come on. Dog took second for the second straight weekend, earning $10.1 million. I'm pretty sure he just threatened to kill me. Uncharted stayed strong and kept the top spot. $23.3 million gave the video game adaptation a 10-day domestic total of $83 million. And as the airline industry slumps, Israel's state-owned aer aerospace company is adapting. Its, its industries is cashing in on the growth of e-commerce by converting its grounded passenger planes into cargo jets for global giants like Amazon and DHL. And today's Andrew Thomas reports. In this hangar in central Israel, passenger planes are being converted into cargo planes. Analysts say the conversion work lines up with pandemic-driven trends. This pandemic uh, made the airlines put airplanes inside in parking because there's not too much passenger. When this airplane was inside in parking, the company have to decide. Keep it in parking or next make conversion, make money for e-commerce. The conversion is a bargain compared to buying a new cargo plane four or five times that price. Israel Aerospace Industries says it converts about 25 planes a year. It will change a lot of things in the avionic because it's a different airplane now. And in, in a, it, it's going to take about three or four months, depending on the condition of the airplane. IAI now converts Boeing 737s and much larger 767s. Next year, the company will become the first in the world to convert even bigger 777s, a sign of booming demand. We do it now in Mexico, Sicana. Narrow bodies we do in Napoli, in Italy, a little bit in China. We have our companies over there. But the, this is now, but the big challenge is the 777 because the demand is so huge. The company has emerged as a top player in this market, competing with big players like Boeing. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. That's the latest business updates for today. You can still catch Entity Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For Entity Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.